Hello and welcome to another edition of Critical Q&A, the show where I answer your questions based on what you have left me uh, in the comments section of my Q&A videos or have sent to me by email at askchrisshelton at gmail.com. Hey everybody, I hope you had a good week. I hope things are going okay for you. Thank you for inviting me into your home this week. I wanted to put out a quick plug. Uh, if you didn't know, I wrote a book here called Scientology A to Zenu, and I will always plug that uh, when I can. So you see it here. You can get it on Amazon. And if you are truly interested in Scientology, there are two books that you need to read. And if you read them, you'll pretty much have it down. And that is uh, my book, of course, and John Atak's A Piece of Blue Sky. Um, those you, you get that and you're going to get a really good overview of the entire operation and what's going on in it and even what it's like to be in it uh, because I was in the Sea Org and that sort of thing. And I talk about that stuff in my book. Um, and I also break down all of Scientology, its organizational structure, how it got tax exemption, how you recover from it, and a bunch of other stuff. All right. And I also wanted to put a quick plug in uh, for the Ideal Studio. We are doing upgrades around here. And I wanted to uh, let you all know that's happening and that I've put a link below in the description section here to my Amazon wish list. And if you wish to uh, assist me with that, uh, helping me to upgrade my operation and make it easier and better for uh, content here, then um, consider uh, going to that wish list and picking something up for me. Or you can always contribute a little bit. You don't have to buy the whole thing, right? There's some big item, big ticket items there. But you could always donate in this direction using Venmo, PayPal, buy me a coffee, all the links below, as well as uh, support me monthly on Patreon, uh, which is a more permanent thing. And you can sign up for any amount on Patreon. I have to clarify this sometimes because people think there's the, the membership levels and you have to go with one of those and you don't. When you go to Patreon, you can sign up for any amount that you want. All right. So that all being said, let's get on with your questions. Jay Blair, do you consider Scientology to be unreformable, i.e. that there is nothing of workability there to fix that it's all fiction? Okay, so bottom line is on this, and over the years there have been various uh, answers given to this question, and I'm at a position now where I will say, um, you know, maybe in the past I've considered that there were certain classes or certain uh, work that you could do in Scientology that might be helpful or useful to a person without all the weird strings attached or all the, all the landmines that are sort of laid out throughout all of Hubbard's writings that can fool you, that can deceive you and manipulate you in ways that it can take years to undo or even recognize that you've been manipulated. Hubbard was a master manipulator. We, he, wasn't a, he wasn't an amateur at this. He was very good at his job. And Scientology is, is littered with and sprinkled with all kinds of very, very destructive little things that you don't necessarily see right away as, in, as destructive. And we've gone over so many of them already. I don't really feel I need to repeat them all here. But if we talk, for example, about the, the training routines, which are communication drills or practical exercises you can do in order to become better at communicating. Sounds great until you realize you have to sit in a chair for hours hours at a time experiencing what's called the Gansfield effect, right? Where things start, we start hallucinating and you go into this trance state. And these are not places that you need to go in order to learn how to communicate better. But according to Scientology and L. Ron Hubbard, you do, and you have to do it for hours and hours and days on end at the highest levels of TRs. In a similar way to at the highest levels of transcendental meditation, you're trying to levitate, through your meditation. You're not just sitting there meditating for nine hours a day. You're actually trying to levitate. That's how crazy TM gets at its highest levels. And they believe that by levitating in their meditation, they're somehow saving the world. Well, Scientologists have the exact same, you know, nonsensical, delusional sort of computation going on with their OT levels where you are not just auditing yourself on the OT levels and dealing with your own personal past and trauma, you're dealing with 
disembodied spirits that are somehow attached to your body and that you have to exorcise away so that you can have peace and and a sort of singular existence without these thousands of external entities affecting your thinking and your actions. This is Scientology, straight up Scientology theory on the OT levels. This is what it's all about up there on those higher levels of Scientology. So I look at these things and I think to myself, can these be reformed? Can you do something better with this? Is there some benefit to this? No, there's not. There isn't. This is all harmful stuff. And it's and there are and the number of years I've been digging into this and researching this stuff. And every single time I dive into the psych books and find some new phenomena or some new destructive thing that can be done to a brain or that can be done to a mind, I find another thing Scientology is up to, right? I, you know, we can go down the rabbit holes of identity. We can go down... Um, you know, disassociation. We can talk about that in a lot of detail. I've started doing that recently. We can talk about uh, fixed action patterns that are installed in a person as habits. We can talk about loaded language and how that completely alters the entire way you view the world and how you perceive it. It's not just a matter of you're using some funny words. You're seeing the world through a completely different lens when you become a full-blown Scientologist. You, per, you interpret reality differently. And I don't necessarily mean that, that you literally see red as blue, but I use that analogy to try to communicate how powerful the change is in your perceptions. You, you, you do, in a way, see red as blue. You, you see the world through a very different lens where every single person is fully responsible for their own condition. They are all spiritual entities who are dragging a body around in the same way that you put on a pair of clothes, you, you, you put on a body. You know, this is, some, this is some disassociated separate thing from who you really are, according to Scientology. And you, as this individual spiritual entity, are supposed to be super powerful, this, this supernatural entity of godlike power. And this is what Scientology promises to return you to. Well, this all comes out of and goes back to Hubbard's basic occult beliefs. And this is where things really get weird. I mean, you think already, you know, we break down the psychological damage, the training routines and the auditing and the enforced confessions and the snitch culture and the authoritarian framework of Scientology, how it is designed to take over and enslave your mind and control your life because that's what it does. Your life is no longer your own, and while you're being preached at and told all the time how self-determined you are and how able you are, those things are only true to the degree you're flowing money and influence and time to Scientology. And if you're not doing that, you're useless and you're a scumbag and you're suppressive, and they will label you at the drop of a hat, and they will kick you out, and they will destroy your life. And as L. Ron Hubbard wrote very clearly in his policies, uh, if you try to say something about this or try to speak up or try to warn people about it, they will then take action to try to ruin you utterly. How do we find something to reform in the middle of all this, right? But then we go a little bit deeper. We go all the way to the bottom, in fact, at least as far as the bottom of Scientology is that I can tell after 10 years of, of digging at this crap. And we get to Thelema. We get to Aleister Crowley. We get to occult practices and beliefs. And this is the basis of all of Scientology. This is not something L. Ron Hubbard involved himself with for a little while and then moved on. That's not what Scientology is in relation to Hubbard's association with Jack Parsons and with Aleister Crowley. Now, he never met Aleister Crowley, but he didn't have to. He read his books, and you know Hubbard thought that this whole concept of Thelema was, was just awesome stuff. He talked about how Aleister Crowley was his good friend, is how he referred to him in 1951. 52, sorry, 1952, right, December, in the Philadelphia Doctorate Course Lectures. So Hubbard 
leaked <laughs> the the goods the way you know where he was really coming from it's apparent in the lectures but not if you don't know what you're looking at or looking for but if you start comparing and contrasting occult practices and magic with a k it's m-a-j uh, or m-a-g-i-k this is alistair crowley's version of magic and hubbard would talk about magic if you listen to those philadelphia doctorate course lectures he talks all about the history of magic and Hubbard, this was clearly something Hubbard was interested in. He mentions it in more than one lecture. So Thelema, and I'm just pulling this right off Wikipedia, and the reason I use that is because it's any of you can look it up easily. Uh, Thelema is a Western esoteric and occult social or spiritual philosophy and new religious movement founded in the early 1900s by Aleister Crowley. Died in 1947, by the way. Uh, an English writer, mystic, occultist, and ceremonial magician. Central to Thelema is the idea of discovering and following one's true will. It's capitalized, true will. A unique purpose and calling that goes beyond ordinary desires. Crowley's system begins with the Book of the Law, a text he said was dictated to him by an entity named Iwas. Yeah. This foundational work lays out key principles, including the central axiom, quote, do what thou wilt shall be the whole of the law. That's a capitalized law. It's like that's the whole of the laws. Do what thou wilt. This principle emphasizes personal freedom and the pursuit of one's true path while being guided by love and finding one's authentic purpose. Well, Hubbard's purpose in his life was to dominate and control other people. This is according to his own writings. I'm not making this up. This isn't my opinion of what L. Ron Hubbard wanted. He wrote it down. We have this in what's called L. Ron Hubbard's Affirmations. Again, you can look this up on Wikipedia. It's out there. This is uh, Jerry Armstrong got this into the court record back in the early 1980s. And it's probably one of the single most important things that man ever did. Because it gives you a direct pipeline insight into L. Ron Hubbard's mind in a way none of us ever would have gotten it listening to his lectures. Because in those, in those affirmations, he states very, very clearly that his intent, his true will, is to dominate and control other men and sexually dominate women. That was Hubbard's thing. And he, and he also wanted to overcome his own... Um, Problems, issues, uh, foibles, right? His his uh, character flaws, his his physical problems and issues, his bad eyesight, his uh, bursitis, his uh, ulcers, his his other things, right? He had all kinds of issues and problems. It's all laid out there in his personal writings, right? I really recommend you go look at this. And the reason I'm bringing all of this up is because all of Scientology, Dianetics and Scientology, were built in order to aggrandize Hubbard and May, and, and allow him to fulfill his purpose, his true will. Dominate men, sexually dominate women, control people, get one over on them before they get one over on you. That was Hubbard's approach. He was not a good man. He was a man who thought he projected himself onto everybody else. And he was very self-centered and egotistical and, and, and megalomaniac, actually. And... Uh, wanted to um, get one over on other people before they got one over on him. And so he creates this movement, this philosophy, which he dared to call a science called Dianetics, even though there's nothing scientific about it. The thing was a complete con job, uh, just reworking hypnotism and giving it new language. And then he uh, built Scientology when he lost the trademarks to, to Dianetics uh, through his own mismanagement, financial mismanagement and, and uh, nonsensical activity with his uh, second wife, the very public, very controversial divorce, all that. Um, Hubbard was in a really bad way and he lost Dianetics and so he had to create something new and out of the ashes of that came Scientology. And he builds this thing up all in an effort to try to accomplish his dominance, right? Establish his dominance, right? You will respect my authority, right? He finally became an authority on something. And people were actually listening to him and following him. And he loved it. And this was something he wanted to grow. And he grew it from a very small operation to, 
you know, a fairly sizable one through the 1950s and 60s. And he did that by lying through his goddamn teeth, right? Coming up with all these processes and all these things that uh, these techniques that people were supposed to use in order to become free. And yet what all of this at the end of the day was to Hubbard was a sort of itself, all of Scientology was a kind of magical ritual, It was a way of enslaving others' minds so that he could become more powerful. So when you, again, when you ask me if if this is the purpose of Scientology, and I believe after all the work and research that I've done and all the long discussions I've had with John Atak and so many other people over the years in delving into and plumbing the depths of Scientology, if this is what it really is, and this is how I see it, how could you possibly reform something like that? You can't, right? It's awful and rotten all the way to its evil core. And I say evil because L. Ron Hubbard didn't care about anybody else but himself. And other, and in a similar way to how narcissists, um, other narcissists act. Hubbard was definitely had narcissism problems. People become useful tools for them. And so the apparency of having a family and having love and having relationships that mean something, these are all just tools Hubbard was using. He was using people. He wasn't, he never imagined that he was at an equal footing with other people. He was always senior. He was always superior. He was always the smartest guy in the room. He was always the one getting one over on other people before they were going to get one over on him. And so that being his whole approach, right, Um, if you then come to me and say, well, what about these TRs? Well, what about them, right? They're, They're not what they present themselves to be. I've already laid out a little bit why. Auditing is not what it presents itself to be. The state of clear is not at all what is described in Dianetics or Scientology materials. It's a delusional state where you believe that you have erased something that never existed in the first place. You have gone through a series of actions through auditing which have reinforced and and sort of pushed in harder your trauma, your, your collective trauma from your life. It's, you carry it around with you. Your body keeps the score, right? It's there. And Hubbard's claims that this is all stored in some non-physical or energy sheet mind, that your mind is just sheets of energy, of pictures that you're storing as a, as a Thetan. I mean, this whole fantasy of a, of a Thetan and mental image pictures, and this is how we remember things, this is all pure fantasy. So, Yet, this is, the, this is the fundamental building blocks of Dianetics and Scientology. So, how do we reform this? You, you throw it all in the trash. That's what you do. Because none of this makes any real sense. It's not true. It's all a lie. And I don't know that I've ever broken it down this sort of bluntly before. So, maybe I have. And, uh, and if so, then here I am doing it again because I really want to make get across that there isn't anything there to reform. It was rotten from the beginning and it stayed rotten all the way through. And the only good that happens in Scientology comes from those of us who invested our time, our lives, our, our the entire purpose of our life was to try to use this technology, this methods and techniques of Scientology, to try to help other people. And it's not hard to help other people. You listen to somebody, you care, you're compassionate, you're tolerant, you're understanding. That goes so far with people, just that alone, much less actually assisting them in organizing their life, setting things up, working out problems they might have or compulsions or issues. You know, you can work through these things with people. Communication will really go a long way uh, in helping people, but not the way Scientology does it. And so it's only, it's only an accident. It's kind of a, it's, it's, it's an unexpected consequence. <laughs> if somebody really resolves problems or issues in their life, it was them doing it, not Scientology or L. Ron Hubbard. 
I often have said that in all the years I was a staff member, I was I, that I helped a lot of people, and I was very proud of that fact. But I was helping them despite Scientology, not with Scientology. And that's the that's the thing that is so important to understand about it. So that all being said, I think I'm going to probably just ramble if I keep answering here. So I think I've said everything I want to say about this. But I hope you'll take me seriously when I talk about the occult foundations of Scientology. I'm not joking around. L. Ron Hubbard believed that crap. And he really thought that the intention of his will and that, and that his purpose in life was to dominate other people. And the word dominate is not, a, is not used here in a good way. There's no good version of domination. <laughs> so that's my answer to can you reform Scientology is no, you can't because it's, it, it, it's, it's, it's bad from top to bottom. Okay, so there we go. Lynn. Do you think Scientology personnel wrote the reference slash character letters to the judge in the Masterson case and then instructed Ashton Kutcher and Mila Kunis to sign and that somehow they thought they had to go along? Those two looked extremely uncomfortable in their taped reaction to the public backlash. Scientology went to a lot of effort to protect the crimin- this criminal and menace to women. Hey, Lynn, thank you for this question. And it's a perfectly sensible question, and I'm going to respond with some... Uh, maybe a little bit of snark will enter into my voice a little bit as I go along on here. I'm hoping not to. But this whole thing has been blown out of proportion to a degree that I find amazing. Um, so it's so I have a few comments to make about this. And I'm not at all, let me lead by saying, now that I've said it's been blown out of proportion and people's heads are already exploding, let me, let me clarify that... <laughs> I don't believe that Danny Masterson should have been supported, uh, nor do I believe that he's a good guy or that they're, you know, or that his punishment was undeserved. Okay. I want to be super clear about that. And I've said this so many times, I shouldn't have to keep saying this, but I will say that again. Now, that being said, <laughs> the, the ignorance of the public at large about certain things is absolutely astonishing. Right? And this thing with writing letters to the judge, because people don't know about this or don't seem to understand that this is a routine thing that is done seven days a week all over the country all the time with everybody who's ever convicted of a crime. This is not some special thing that was done for Danny Masterson. Every single judge, every single lawyer that you will ever talk to or ask about this will tell you in no uncertain terms that there is nothing unusual, strange, or weird about friends and family of a convicted person, whether convicted felon, convicted murderer, convicted rapist, convicted pedophile, it doesn't matter what they're convicted of. doesn't matter. If that person has friends and family who care about that person as a person, they can and are encouraged to write letters that are character references to the judge in the case before the sentencing happens. And I'm going to read to you uh, what is a character letter. You can look this up. This is so common that you will find law websites detailing all of what I'm telling you right now. And I'm going to read to you from part of this so that this more general concept is understood. And then I'll address Masterson and, uh, and Ashton and Mila, okay? What is a character letter? A character letter is a letter written by friends, relatives, coworkers, and others who know the defendant in a criminal case. They are presented to the judge during the sentencing phase, along with the testimony of any live witnesses. Typically, a judge will only hear from a certain number of character witnesses during this phase, but will accept letters from others to review when rendering a decision. A character letter can provide details about the defendant, their life, and their character. The letter can help give the judge a better picture of the defendant and differentiate them from others in the criminal justice system. The goal of character letters is to minimize the sentence the defendant receives. Information you'd want to include in a character letter. Your name and contact information, how you know the defendant for how long, an explanation of why you are writing the letter, details about the defendant's character and life, specific examples of how the defendant has helped you or someone else, 
the impact the defendant's incarceration would have on others, a respectful request asking the court for a minimum sentence or alternative sentencing. So that's commonplace. This happens all the time. And when it happens, no one is tarring and feathering and burning in effigy every single person who writes these letters. Because it's a necessary part of our legal system that this happen. Because if you think about it, and if you put yourself for a second into the position of, a, of somebody who is being tried and has been found guilty, and now you're going to jail. How long you're going in for is all up to one guy, right? Or one woman, the judge. And the judge only knows you from what they've heard about you in that court case. That's all the exposure they've ever had to you. So if their victims have been laying out all the horrible, awful things you've been doing, okay, that's the only picture the judge has of you. There is another side to every single human being, even Danny Masterson. And those letters from family and friends were intended to give the judge the other side of this so that sentencing would be fair. This is something that happens in all the cases. So the judge gets a more well-rounded look at the individual that they are about to sentence. Judges have an awful lot of power and latitude in what they can do and what they can sentence or what they can um, you know, maybe mitigate. And uh, so that's the whole point of these things. It's not to make life easier for guilty people. It's to give everyone in a court of law a fair shake when it comes to sentencing. Because as all of you know from all the criminal crap that goes on with people, that's all you know about them. This gets televised. This gets blown out all over the airwaves. And we all think the very worst of every single person who's ever uh, indicted for anything, right? Because all we hear is all the awful, horrible about them. There is another side. Every single human being has another one. Unless you're an absolute evil to incarnate, right? Um, and Danny Masterson has that other side too. He's got a kid, he's got a wife, he's got family, blah, 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 right? Again, I'm not sympathetic to this guy. I, I don't care about him. I'm happy he's in jail for life. I really want to be clear about this, right? This is not me defending Danny Masterson. Fuck Danny Masterson. But what about the innocent people who get convicted? What about the people who are convicted who are minorities in, in certain states and areas where they're looked down upon or there is uh, absolute systemic prejudice against them? And if you do any research on sentencing of people for crimes across the United States, you will find gross injustices perpetuated on people every day of the week. Our justice system is not always just. Remember that, okay? And if you're in this kind of like seeing red mom mentality kind of thing right now, then you're probably not in the right place to be listening to this answer. But, you know, I got to put this out there, right? Is that this is that there is a balance that is being sought here, okay? So that's just the practice of writing these letters. And, and it's really interesting to me how, how people just lose their goddamn minds over things they really just don't know anything about. And that was the case with these letters, right? And, and for some reason, despite the fact that there were like 20 people writing letters, the only people who were singled out were Ashton Kutcher and Mila Kunis. And they were dragged on social media immediately when those letters came out. What? How dare they? Those scumbag motherfuckers, right? Just... Oh, the vicious hate that was being sent toward Ashton and Mila was intense. So, Lynn, when you ask here that they, you know, that they, they looked extremely uncomfortable in their taped reaction to the public backlash, yeah, they did, because they did not expect any of that. Not only did they not expect the letters to become public, but in a in a more rational world. You know, people would not have been dragging them for doing so. I mean, right, you know, I, I, how do I put this? I don't like Ashton Kutcher. I don't particularly have any feelings one way or the other about Mila. I don't know anything about her. I, 
I, I have my suspicions about Ashton, right, in terms of his own behavior and his own past. And, you know, there's questionable behavior there, very questionable. And all of this, of course, has been dragged out over the last few weeks. So I'm not even making the point that Ashton and Mila shouldn't have been, don't deserve to, some public dragging. But I'm trying to point out that dragging people for something that you're not dragging a bunch of other people for is hypocritical. If we're going to single these two out and we're going to say all these other people don't, you know, it's okay that they were the family. Nobody's saying that it's a, that it's a travesty of justice or that, you know, Danny Masterson's mom or sister or brother or half brother, none of those guys get trolled for this. Why not? If it's so evil and so bad, then how come they're not all getting it, right? No, it's only these two. And I, and I find that really interesting, right? I start looking at, at other causes when it comes to stuff like that. But that's neither here nor there. The point is that they did not expect those letters to become public. And I personally believe that Ashton and Mila both think that Danny Masterson is completely innocent. I think that's what they really think. I, you know, there's a, there's a group of people around Danny Masterson who are absolutely positive that those women lied through their teeth. I don't think that. Right? None, none of my videos or none of my talks about any of this uh, have ever said anything other than believe those women, Danny Masterson's guilty, and the guy needs to go to jail. But just because you and I think that doesn't mean everybody else is going to think that, and they don't. There's a ton of people out there who absolutely think that Danny Masterson is absolutely innocent, uh, never did anything wrong, never drugged these women, never did any of that stuff. So they can believe that. And if they do, they can write a letter in support of him. And that's what they have the right to do, you know? And that's the situation with that. And so, of course, when it became this, you know, public nuclear reaction, uh, you know, clearly it has, what I think happened as far as that video of Ashton and Mila and how tired and awful they look. I mean, it does look like a POW video. They did a really bad job of PR control on this thing, of damage control, because I'm pretty sure what happened is, you know, this, this thing blew up overnight, and I think it was over the weekend that this, that this occurred. I think the video was from a Sunday morning or something, and I mean, it, it looked pretty obvious to me that they got woken up early, didn't even bother to try to really get prepared or, or dolled up or anything, just turned on a video camera, read this script, get it out there right away, right? And they're like, oh God, this again, right? Here we go again with another, you know, a damage control thing. And they really gave it, you know, barely any lip service and, and screw them for doing that, right? Um, I don't think Ashton and Mila really, you know, second guessed themselves or thought twice about it as far as where, how they feel about Danny Masterson and his conviction. I think they think that it was totally wrong. And now they have to publicly apologize for having supported their friend. Oh God, here we go. Right. And that was their attitude, I think, about this whole thing. And that's why it was kind of this half-assed effort and why eventually in order to um, kind of suck it up and, and, and deal with the public backlash is Kuchar had to resign from his own organization that was uh, built to uh, assist people who are sexually trafficked or abused. And uh, I don't know that that's a good thing or a bad thing. I, I don't know as I sit here, right? I have my suspicions about Ashton, but who am I? I'm just some Joe, right? So uh, I don't know if that was a good thing or not, but I do know that that's what he ended up having to do because the video didn't do the job at all and his follow-ups to that video didn't do the job at all because people wanted blood, right? So anyway, I'm sure I'm going to get a lot of hate for this one. Um, I, I hope not. I hope you all can see the points I'm making here because I've, I've gone out of my way to tell you that I, I'm with you on you know the anger and frustration and upset over Masterson. This is a routine thing that happens every single day in our courts. And if you were in the position of being sentenced, uh, you would want every single person you know who's ever had anything to do with you, who had anything good to say about you, you would be begging those people to write letters for you. You know you would, right? So let's you know, realize that that's kind of the situation here. Um, and I don't know. There you go. MV, 
I was recently talking with a Scientologist above the level of clear and asked him about the subject of Scientology. He was giving me the usual endorsement and said that one of the things he likes is that nobody tells him what to think. I suppose he was referencing the statement, what is true for you is true. I politely asked whether this is against KSW. He promptly denied and said that KSW is only about teaching the correct tech. I don't think what he said is true. To the question, was he lying or is he in denial? If so, can he keep the dissonance together? Well, you're asking basically about, you know, the same kind of stuff I talk about all the time here, which is that cognitive dissonance is an incredibly powerful mental mechanism that all of us have and use in order to maintain our belief or idea or way of looking at a thing when faced with contrary information or, you know, something that might not necessarily go with that. Now, it can also bleed over into the action world, um, but here we're talking about thoughts and beliefs and things like that. So, Scientologists and any member of any cult anywhere have bought into a basic set of, 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 of agreements with the group that they are now part of. Now, to a degree, if you step back and think about it, we all do this to one degree or another when we're part of groups, but with cults, right, it's always dialed up, always dialed up to 11. So what they believe or the agreements that they hold to be true in their mind in order to maintain themselves as Scientologists are, Scientology is good, Scientology is a force for, um, for good in the world, uh, Scientology works, the, the technology, the methods, the techniques, the practices of Scientology, they call this the technology, that tech works, and it works every time you use it properly. This is an agreement Scientologists have amongst themselves. They all believe this is true. Uh, if you do it, if you do it right, it'll work, and you'll get a beneficial result 100% of the time. If you don't get the beneficial result, you didn't do it right. It's, it's very circular logic, but that's how, it, that's how they think. Um, that's, that circular logic, in fact, keeps them trapped in the mindset because it's a, it's a self-reinforcing logic. You, if you do it right, it works. If it doesn't work, you didn't do it right. So it's always back to you if it didn't work. So they buy into that. Um, and then they, and they buy into the idea that L. Ron Hubbard is a genius philosopher who actually knows what he's talking about. No matter who they are in Scientology, everybody thinks that. And they believe that Scientology somehow, in some fashion, even if they're not OTs, even if they don't know all about all the bridge and everything, they believe that, that this set of practices or this road to freedom, this bridge to total freedom, that they are journeying across is going to end up with them in a far more superior position than they are now. That their potential to produce, to love, to live, to laugh, to, to get through life, to create their lives, that that potential is infinite and that Scientology can help them achieve that potential. That's the mindset of a Scientologist. And, I, and, and it should be clear in describing all of that why it, it would be so incredibly hard to challenge that point of view or challenge those beliefs. These are fundamental core principles. These are, these are deeply held beliefs on the part of Scientologists. They are not shabby, sort of wonky, sort of waffle-waffle kind of beliefs. These are like intense. This is how it is. And the more deep they go into Scientology, the more intense these beliefs become because the more convinced the person becomes that these things must be true. And that they, if they just are good enough and strong enough and, and apply themselves and pay their money and jump through the hoops, they will achieve godhood. Eventually, that's what they believe. They don't believe that on day one, but eventually they get to believing that. And that's what OT is all about. That's what getting to the state of OT, operating Thetan, what those levels are all about, is godhood. So, um, so no, your friend is not lying to you. Uh, not as he sees it, or she, right? That they're, they're 100% in the belief that Scientology allows you and, and, in fact, advantages you, makes you better at thinking for yourself, 
coming to your own conclusions, being your own person, being self-determined is how they use the term in Scientology. You are self-determined. You're the one deciding what you're going to do, how you're going to do it, who you're going to be, how you're going to be, etc. And Scientology promises to, to improve this, to make this even more in you. Uh, And they believe this is true. And they believe that while they are being enslaved and pushed harder and harder into an authoritarian framework of control, that they are actually freer and freer. Backwards world. Everything in Scientology is backwards world. It's all mirror world. Uh, You think you're doing this? No, you're going this way. You think you're going up? You're going down. You think you're getting rid of trauma? You're actually reinforcing it. It's like that. And, um, and a person can, of course, only hold on to contradictory beliefs of that magnitude for so long before their life blows up or something's going to come to a head. And often it does. And Scientology loses more people than it gains. I mean, let's always remember this. Scientology's not taking over the world. Scientology's on its way out. It is dying. It's, it's a dying cause, and it's doing it to itself. We're just speeding the whole thing up. But it's already happening all on its own. I, I've been saying this for 10 years, right? Destruction is in its, its self-destruction is built into it. It's in, it's in its own DNA. And one of the reasons I say that is for this exact question that the cognitive dissonance eventually becomes so great that something is going to end up happening to, to blow it up. There's going to be some moral transgression. There's going to be some... some uh, event that's going to occur right and that is going to wake a person up it's going to get them to see it's wrong and not only is it wrong it's so wrong i actually need to reevaluate my involvement with it we've all had those moments in our lives you know exactly how that feels well in scientology it might take a while for that to happen took me 27 years (laughs) you know it might take a while but eventually, it's pretty much, eventually, almost everyone's going to experience this. And the reason why is because Scientology is going to pull some shit on you. They're going to they're gonna hurt you. They're going to make some completely authoritarian, unreasonable demands on your time, on your energy, on your relationships, on your money. And you're going to reach a breaking point, right? You're going to go, this is too much. I, I, you know, I, I, I want this goal. I want this prize. I want to become a god. But not at the sacrifice of my family or not at the sacrifice of my money or not, you know, not if I have to whatever, fill in the blank. And they, and they hit that point where they cannot cognitive dissonance themselves out of that situation. They can't outthink it. They can't outlogic it. All the beliefs come crashing down. And, um, and it can be a slow process or it can be a fast process, but uh, one way or the other, it almost always happens with people in Scientology. And so, um, so, yeah, so that's how it works. That's how they keep the dissonance together is they keep it together all the way up until the point that they can't. And that's individual for every single person. All of us have different breaking points, different emotional needs, different ways we're approaching things, different reasons why we do things, right? Um, and that's why it's going to be so individual for each person that we're talking about. So there you go. Taffy Sinclair. Why does the Church of Scientology consider things like the Way to Happiness book a kind of LRH technology? What's so technical about telling people to brush their teeth and respect their folks? And is Criminon anything more than dispensing Way to Happiness pamphlets to inmates? Okay, Taffy. Um, so the Way to Happiness book is not particularly considered tech in Scientology because the tech of Scientology, by definition, are the procedures, methods. You hear me say this all the time, right? I've said it a few times even in this show today. The tech of Scientology are the methods and procedures that you utilize in order to bring about change in a person, ostensibly positive change. Either word clearing, auditing, uh, going into the sauna and doing the purification rundown, right? These things. This is the methods, the techniques of Scientology, and that's why it's called the tech. 
the way to happiness is just a moral code. It's a non, it's a secular moral code. Hubbard wrote, and as a as a PR as, as part of trying to do damage control for the 1977 raid on Scientology by the FBI, and the fact that 11 Scientologists were incarcerated and uh, indicted and incarcerated, uh, including Hubbard's wife. So in 1980, Hubbard said, "Oh, I know what the world needs. The world needs a." Uh, secular moral code, and if I write it and put it out and call it the way to happiness, everybody will think we're great. Scientology provides the way to happiness. What's the problem? Why, you know, these indictments, that's all just government hokum. Look at what this booklet says. It's so great. Don't you see how wonderful we are? I mean, as crazy as that sounds, that, that was what they were thinking. And that's what that book is, is all about. Now, there are auditing actions. I don't know if you all know this or not, but in Scientology, there is a step called the happiness rundown. And that's tech. That's where you take the way to happiness book, the 20-something precepts that are in it, and you audit the person on them and you do other things on them uh, to make the person more able to walk on the road to happiness, around the way to happiness. So yeah, so that's kind of what that's all about. And um, as far as Criminon goes, Criminon is not just distributing pamphlets or booklets to prisoners. It's an extension course program. So you have people who will send the Way to Happiness book and maybe other Scientology books, but definitely Way to Happiness. That's sort of the central core of Criminon is you do an extension course with prisoners uh, on that book. And that's, that's the whole point of it. So... Anyway, yeah, not exactly major criminal rehab, is it? Yeah. Anyway, there you go. CW. Playing on DM's website, I saw a photo of an award ceremony of chairman of the board being pinned by a general for all the humanitarian work he's done in Colombia. The site went on to further state that because of Scientology, violent crime decreased by 96%, which is laughable. I'm curious, what is the Colombian government thinking in giving Miscavige this award? Did they have to pay off everyone from the top down, or is this a fake award like in the bottom of a Cracker Jack box? Please explain. All right. Thank you very much for asking me this question. And I'm actually, because it's so well and so succinctly summarized here on Tony Ortega's blog back from... Um, Oh, gosh, when is this? Uh, August 2nd, 2018. So this is quite a few years ago that this whole thing went down. And, I, and it's all kind of summarized here in terms of my answer. So I'm just going to read it to you, okay? We are shocked to learn that a public relations stunt involving the leader of the Church of Scientology and a retired Colombian National Police General which took place earlier this year on the island of Barbados, turns out to be a travesty of a mockery of a sham of a mockery of a travesty of two mockeries of a sham. <laughs> For several years, Columbia has been playing straight man to Scientology leader David Miscavige's never-ending practical jokes that he runs on his own followers. One of the biggest canards he requires his acolytes to swallow is that Scientology is actually having some beneficial effect on that troubled South American country. And we've seen numerous Colombian police figures dutifully pose for photos and accept shiny medals and slick commendations as, part, as their part in the production. But now, retired General Carlos Ramiro Mena has reportedly gotten himself into some hot water, not for accepting a medal from Miscavige, but for pinning one on the diminutive ecclesiastical honcho in the name of the country's national police, which he was not authorized to do. Yeah. So this guy got actually into a lot of trouble. This was uh, after a maiden voyage celebration week down in uh, Columbia or whatever, and um, and the national, they said here, uh, the public relations spin was the National Colombian Police honored Mr. David Miscavige with one of their most prestigious awards, the Brigadier General Jaime Ramirez Gomez Inspector General Transparency Medal in recognition of his leadership in helping bring about social change within the nation through the work of the Church of Scientology. You will be stunned to learn that we paid very little attention to this display of quasi-military log rolling at the time 
because we knew it had to be utter bullshit. And now multiple reports are coming from the Colombian press that the actual national police are not happy about having their name used in this fashion. So this whole thing backfired drastically, horribly bad on this guy, this retired Colombian general, who ended up spouting insane things in support of Scientology on the, on the radio and other places in Colombia. This guy was totally bought off, totally uh, owned by Scientology. Maybe he's a Scientologist. I, I don't know. But he absolutely was in Miscavige's pocket, and so this whole sham award ceremony was just that, a complete sham. And, uh, and once it became public knowledge, uh, things blew up big time. And it's just kind of one of those many, many things that David Miscavige has done over the years that no one talks about anymore. So anyway, there's the facts on that. I wanted to give it to you straight from Tony Ortega's reporting because he did such a stellar job on it back in 2018. So there you go. Michael Yoder, an ex-Scientologist, recently talked about how discussing a policy letter in Scientology called Leaving and Leaves with Anyone would be considered a suppressive act. That's a phrase I haven't heard before. Is there anything in the scriptures about how just talking about leaving Scientology is a suppressive act? Hey, Michael, thank you for this. And I decided to go to the scriptures direct on this one. Now, there is an entire policy letter in Scientology called Leaving and Leaves. And it discusses very frankly that if somebody is leaving staff or leaving the organization, that they are to keep their goddamn mouth shut about it. They don't talk to anybody about it at all. You don't let people know. You get through your sec check, you do your thing, and people generally are going to know anyway, but you don't talk about it ever, right? No conversations, no, here's why I'm leaving, no, this place sucks, none of that, none of it at all, keep your mouth shut. And if you don't keep your mouth shut about it, you're going to get declared suppressive. This falls under the definition of a high crime in Scientology. It is the most, it, it is, it is a, the high crimes of Scientology are the most important and um, significant actions you can take against Scientology as far as Scientology is concerned. Murder, rape, arson, theft, None of that holds a candle to publicly saying you're leaving. High crimes. Now, I'm reading this from the ethics book. These consist of publicly departing Scientology or committing suppressive acts. And um, there it is. These consist of publicly departing Scientology. So there are a number of different suppressive acts you can look up that cover this, that cover different ways in which a person might publicly depart Scientology, including testifying against Scientology, going to the police about it, making public statements against Scientology or Scientologists, declaring that you're leaving. Any of those things all fall under the, act, the, the suppressive acts uh, in the justice codes, and you're going to get in an awful lot of trouble if you do that. So yeah, that's a real thing. Okay, and that is our show for this week. Thank you very much for coming around and listening to me gabber on at a bad rate about all this. I hope my answers were informative, entertaining, and educational. Uh, that's always the intent here. And I'm sure um, I will look forward to your feedback to this episode. And I will uh, ask again, if you would not mind, uh, consider supporting this channel and the work that I am doing here because it's all you guys who are keeping me going on this. And I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. I really can't. Um, I've, I've tried so many times over the years to try to get, give words to my feelings and I'm never, never really doing it justice. Um, but I really want you guys to know that, that your viewership and your support of what I'm trying to do here means everything. And I want to thank you for that. All right. So that all being said, I'll see you guys next week. Bye-bye.